All right. standing for just a moment grab your bibles turn over with me to romans chapter number one we are still in romans chapter number one and probably going to be in romans chapter number one next week too so so we'll just we'll just cover a few verses as we go and uh and have a good time i'm i'm about learning god's word amen, amen. romans chapter number one does anybody need a lesson does anybody need a lesson you come in and, and, and you, you got in such of a hurry. Uh, help me, Brother Buchanan. Help me. There we go. Uh, raise your hand real high. Raise your hand. If you did not get a lesson, you need a lesson. Got some here. That, that crowd over there don't even know Jesus. None of them got one over. Look at that. All right. All right. Hold your hand up. Hold your hand up, church secretary. Hold your hand up. I saw your hand. There you go. All right. Over here, Brother Buchanan. Got need two over here. Uh-oh. Did we run out? Surely we do. Now, I think we got more. Over here, over here. That's it, Gus. Raise your hand. Just get here when you can, all right? Just drag on in here. Ain't nothing like... Gus just feels like the party can't start till he gets here. Amen? All right. Now, does everybody have one? We want to make sure everybody has one. Everybody's got one, all right? All right. Well, let's read, and I'll let you sit down tonight. Romans chapter 1 we stopped, we stopped last week with the introduction of Paul and Paul introducing himself as the preacher and what God has called him to do and what he was doing with this letter. He could not wait to see them, but he was sending out information ahead of time uh, uh, to greet them and to, to help them understand who he was. So we covered that last week. Well, let's go back to verse 16. Let's start in verse 16 tonight. And we're going to go into more detail about the main topic of the whole book, all right? The main subject, which is the righteousness of God. How many of y'all want to be right with God? How many of y'all want to be right with each other? How many of y'all just want to be right? That's what this book is about. The whole book is about being right. We're going to see it over and over and over again. And this is what we're going to cover tonight, all right? Verse 16, if you found your spot, say amen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, it don't leave anybody out. The gospel works for everybody. For whosoever, amen, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad it's a whosoever gospel. Now watch what it says in verse 17. For therein, the therein is the gospel. In the gospel, we're going to find some stuff, all right? Therein, and he's talking about the gospel in verse number 16. For therein, 
is the righteousness of God revealed. In other words, we're going to know how to be right with God through the gospel. Through the gospel. And that's very important. That's very important. Oprah Winfrey says that we can get to God all kind of ways. But the Bible says no. There's only one way to Christ. There's only one way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is a righteousness of God. How can we be right with God? Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's a good reason we need to be righteous. Amen. Who hold the truth or suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to just study, an opportunity to just just dig in your word and and, 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 and brag on you and, and encourage one another and, and build up one another. And, Lord, an opportunity we can get together to come out of this world and the rat race and the, and the craziness out there and come into a calm atmosphere and learn about who you are, learn about who we are and what we need from you. And, God, I pray that your will be done tonight. Help me, Jesus, help me. Help me. Let me. Don't let me say anything I'm not supposed to. And Lord, don't let me forget anything I'm supposed to say. And Lord, we'll just leave here glorified. We'll leave here edified. And Lord, hoping we magnify your name in the process. And God, will thank you for it. In Jesus' name we all pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. You may be seated. There was an armed robber <clears throat> named Dennis Lee Curtis who was arrested in 1992 in Rapid City, South Dakota. Curtis apparently had scruples about his thievery. In his wallet, the police found a sheet of paper on which he was written the following code. He had his own code of conduct. A thief had his own code of conduct. Number one, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. That's a personal rule I have right there, amen? I'm not going to kill nobody unless I, I have to. I, I, if I have to, I may do. I will take cash in food stamps, but no checks. Got to draw the line somewhere, amen? I will rob only at night. I will not wear a mask. I will not rob many marts or 7-Eleven stores. If I get chased by cops on foot, I will get away. If chased by a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. That was mighty good of him. I will rob only seven months out of the year. I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. Now, here's the deal. This thief had a sense of morality. He did. He had a sense of morality. He had a sense of right and wrong. In his own mind, he had a sense of morality. But there was only one problem. When he stood before the court, he was not judged by the standards he had set for himself, but by the higher law of the state. Are you all with me? 
He had his own laws. He had his own morality. He had his own level of righteousness, if you will. But he was not judged by them. He was judged by a higher law, and that law of the state. But see, here's where we're at in the church today. We stand before God. When we stand before God, we will not be judged by the code of morality we have written for ourselves, but God's perfect law. There's an epidemic in America today called feel-good religion, and it is a philosophy that says whatever you feel okay about doing makes it right. It kind of reminds me of a verse that I put there in your notes in Judges, the last verse in the book of Judges. The Bible says there was no king in Israel. There was no sense or form of authority in Israel, and because there was no king in Israel, every man did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, if they felt like it was good to do, they did it. And it was right because they did it. Is that not the day we're living in today? Uh, they want to criticize everybody and everything, and everything's wrong but them, and it's right because they did it. They just are just right to wherever they are. I need a witness. That's where we're at. We're living in that society. We're living in that kind of day. And it says, hey, preacher, it feels good, or I feel like it's okay. I feel like everything's fine with this. Feelings are irrelevant. It's not about feelings. It's not about feelings. It's about the facts of God's Word. Are y'all with me? The facts of God's Word. Many verses speak about this. Many verses speak about this. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 3 says for they this is this is Paul speaking about the Jewish nation for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God in other words there's a movement there's a group of people in the United States who who are trying to form their own morality if you will their own righteousness, their own standard of right and wrong and and they will not submit themselves because it does take submission. Some people think, well, I feel like this is okay, but what does God's Word say about it? And when, it, when we come to that point, we have to be willing to submit to what God says about it because what we feel and what we think is, is, is listen, that's not the barrier. It's what God says about it. That's why we're having such a, str a struggle with the culture, with, with, with the homosexual movement, with, with uh, living together. Uh, with all of these other things that used to be a no-brainer was right and wrong, today is so blurred. Do you realize? Do you realize that we have, in 2010, we in in America, the percentage in surveyed people, the percentage of people that have been surveyed who feel like homosexuality is okay is over the 50 percent mark. First time in the history of America has it gone above the 50%. In other words, in America today, there's more people who feel like homosexuality is normal than people who feel like it's wrong. What's happening every day that goes by? We're forming our own righteousness. We're forming our own sense of morality. In other words, we're rewriting the rule book to whatever we want it to be and whatever we feel like is necessary. Does that make sense? But there's only one problem with that. There's only one problem with doing what's right in our own eyes. The Bible says in, in uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Death. It may seem right. It may feel right. I mean, it just may, 
But preacher, it just feels like it's okay. Or I just feel like this situation that I'm in is, is fine. I just feel like God's okay with this. Okay, well, let's go to the Bible. And what does the Bible say about how you feel? Because there may be a way that seemeth right to you. But the end is always what? Death. Destruction. Devastation. Disappointment. What, what, what am I saying? We need to understand what is God's righteousness. It's not about a preacher's opinion. It's not about a denominational theory or a denominational stand. The final authority always has to come back to God's word. Why are y'all even here tonight? I mean, seriously, why, why are you here tonight? You're here to find out what does God say about stuff. And why do, we, why do we even want to know what God says about stuff? Because we want to be right with God. And, and why do we want to be right with God? Because if I'm right with God, then I can be in fellowship with God. And if I'm in fellowship with God, then I can have the favor of God. I love it when me and Tammy's... There's nothing like it when your relationship is what it's supposed to be. It's not, I'm telling you, I love it when she's right with me. Or let me change that, when I'm right with her. I'm serious. I, I, they, I love it when I have done something right. Amen? It's just, it's a great feeling. It's a great thing. I love it when she's happy with me. It's cool. And there ain't nothing like when it ain't. Are y'all with me? And you know what? The same principle goes with God, too. There's no, there's no more awful feeling and no more awful blackness that you feel when you know you're not right with God. When you know that relationship, the moment, the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they ran in fear and they hid themselves because there was an awful gnawing, that, uh, Brother Bob, that conviction inside their heart that they knew that they had broken God's law and they were not right with him and they wanted to hide from God. And I'm telling you, when you're, when you're not right with God, it's awful. Nothing's right. When you're not right with God, you can't be right with anybody. And most of the time, most of the time, when we're not right this way, we want to blame the other person when if we really start investigating and finding out, it's not that this person is so bad. It might be that I can't get along with you because I'm not really getting along with God right now. And I, I want to be right with God. Not just so I can go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. But it's not just so I can go to heaven. God made me. To fellowship with him. God made Adam and Eve to walk in the garden in the cool of the day with him. God made us for his pleasure. God made us to bring glory to him. And, and man, there's nothing like being in fellowship and relationship with God when everything's right because we have the favor of God and the love of God and the presence of God. In his presence is fullness of joy. And the devil wants us to substitute it with things. Things of this world. Well, if I had that bass boat, or if I had that coon dog, if I had that set of golf clubs, or if I had that house, or if I had that car, or if I had that man, or if I had that woman, or if I had this, or if I had that. And God is saying, hey, all that's temporary. All that's temporary. The things of this world, they pass away. The things of this world, they pass away. It's only, listen, Solomon had it all. If there was to have, he had it. And he said, it's all vanity. Vanity. God's saying real joy and happiness is going to come from me. 
But in order to have that, that presence of, of, of joy and fullness of joy, you've got to be in his presence. And you can't be in his presence if you're out of fellowship with him. And you can't be in fellowship with him unless you're right with him. And this whole book, this whole book is all about righteousness, God's righteousness. Not man's idea of what they think is right. Because there's people today that think you're crazy for being here tonight. There's people today that will read the Bible and think you're a bunch of quacks and 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 because they feel this is okay or that's okay. Are y'all with me? But what Paul wanted the Romans to know that there is you know what you know what the sad part about the state of our country and, and not just the state of our country but the state of our churches today it's it, it's 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 not necessarily the blurred vision of what's right and what's wrong it's 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 we just don't know what it is to come up to it's not that we're not coming up to what god expects we don't even know what that is anymore because we have allowed feelings we've allowed the culture of our society We've allowed opinions from the outside to creep in, and we've allowed things that shouldn't have any bearing on what we stand for, what we believe in, crowd our conscience and our mind to the point that we can't, we're really having issues here. When I say we, I mean the church in general. That's why the Bible says that we've got we to gotta change our mind. We've got to renew our mind. Romans, you remember? You remember what it says? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we do that? We fill it with God's Word. We find the righteousness of God. Not my opinion. Not my opinion. My opinion holds no water. How I feel about something's irrelevant. It don't really matter. But what does God say? God is the designer. God is the divine architect of this whole thing. He knows how to keep it running. He knows how to, how to operate in, the, in the, the, the human spirit and the human life at the optimum level. He knows what we need to do to have the greatest life possible. So what does God say about it? Just three things tonight I want to share with you about righteousness. About righteousness. It's very important. Righteousness is so important. We all said, we all said a while ago that, that we all want to be right with God, right? Didn't we? We all clarified that. So we're all on the same page. We all want to leave here right with God, all right? Why is righteousness so important? And more importantly, not just righteousness, but God's righteousness. That's the key. That's the key. Somewhere in your notes, I don't remember whether I put it there, but somewhere in your notes, write that theme of Romans theme of Romans, God's righteousness. I think it's in that first little, little bit of that paragraph on the bottom. Romans 1.17 is the key verse of the letter. In it, Paul announces the theme, the righteousness of God. Put stars around that circle. Just, I want you to know that. Not just righteous, not just righteousness, but the righteousness of God. His. We got to have His. We can't go about making our own up. We can't. We can't just figure out what works for us. I heard somebody say that on TV. You just need to find what works for you. That is the biggest lie that ever came out of hell. 
People are bound down to camels because that's what works for them. People are bound down to statues and, and, and gold instruments because that's what works for them. People are bound down to trees and cows because that's what works for them. But that's not going to change anything. God's righteousness is what we need. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. I want you to see number one. I want you to see God's righteousness required. Required, very important. God's righteousness required. We got to have his. We can't get where we want to go, and we can't have what we want to have with our own righteousness. We have to have his. Why? Why is it so important that we have his righteousness and we experience his righteousness? A, write this down. Because of the holiness of the sovereign, the holiness of God. He is so holy. There are four beasts crying around the throne. If you go study the book of Revelation, which is an exciting book, but there are four creatures around the throne. Uh, one with a, uh, uh, as a form of a man, one's a form of an eagle, uh, one's a form of an ox, and, uh, and I can't remember the fourth one. Uh, what's it? Uh, I got that one. I got that one. Anyhow, there's four. That's a good study. That's homework for everybody. That's homework for everybody. Amen? Uh, but basically, there's four creatures around the throne crying day and night, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Uh, I believe it's a line. Is it a line? A line. I believe that's what it was. The eagle, the lion, the face of a man, and the, and the ox, which represents the strength. But either way, they are crying day and night. Day and night, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, every hour of the day, every minute of the hour. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. He is so pure. He is so righteous. He is so holy. We have to have his righteousness. We cannot come into his presence with our own because he is so holy. His holiness. First John chapter 1, verse number 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness and, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. We cannot walk with him if we are in darkness because he is completely light. Are y'all with me? Turn with me to Isaiah. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter number 6. I want, I want to show you some, some examples of people that, that, that experience the presence of God in human form. And what, what, what they felt and what they experienced. Isaiah chapter number 6. We see the prophet Isaiah. Uh, he is experiencing the presence of God. It's funny, if you go through Isaiah 1 through 6, you'll find out he's woeing everybody. And he's damning everybody. Woe unto you, woe unto thou, woe unto them. In other words, he is just woeing everybody. He is criticizing everybody. And he was right about what he was saying, how bad they were and all this kind of stuff. Well, in chapter number 6, he comes face to face with the glory of God. In Isaiah chapter number 6, it says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is 
me. Woe is me. It's amazing how we have the ability to see everybody else's sins, but when we fall into the presence of God, all we can see is ours. How many of y'all have ever heard the saying, we should love the sinner but hate their sin? How many of y'all have heard that? I want to change that around a little bit. Let's love the sinner and hate our sin. Because we want to get self-righteous and say, bless God, I love you, but I hate your sin. And you know what? I want to say something. What about yours? We got to be careful, guys. We got to be very careful not to get judgmental of other people. And we got to be very careful to see everybody else's problems and everybody else's issues and not be able to see ours. He said, how do I keep from doing that? Just get in the presence of God regular, and God will keep you looking at the right sins. He said, woe is me. What caused him to see who he really was getting into the presence of God? Why? Because God was so holy. God was so righteous. God was so pure. He said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. How many of y'all think milk looks pretty white? It looks white in the refrigerator, don't it? Have y'all ever poured that out in snow? What color does it look then? Yellow. I mean, it looks white. I'm talking about white. That's why God says your sin will be white as snow, not white as milk. What's the point? I might look pretty good next to you, or you might look pretty good next to me, but that's not who we're going to get stacked against. We're going to stand before him, and he's holy. We need his righteousness because he's holy. Look in, look in Revelation chapter 1. That's another good one. Quickly turn over there. 33 minutes. And I'm only on the first point. We got to hurry. Revelation 1. This is John on the Isle of Patmos. This is the Apostle John. Now remember, now remember, this is the same John, this is the same John that while Jesus was here in, 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 in his, his human form, uh, uh, when he was here, he would lay his head on the, on the chest of, of Christ just to hear his heartbeat. I mean, he had a close relationship with God. He had a close relationship with Jesus. And, and the Bible says he was the disciple Jesus loved. And, 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 and so they were pretty tight. Are you all with me? So they pretty much knew each other. But watch what happens when, when John sees Jesus in his resurrected form, in his deity, in his glory, in his holiness. The Bible says, Revelation 1 uh, uh, verse number 9, verse 9. Have you found your verse? Say amen. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in the tribulation and in the kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha, Omega, the first and the last. Anytime you have red writing, that means Jesus is speaking, all right? And what thou seest, write in a book and send it in the seven churches which are in Asia, under Ephesus and under Smyrna, under Pergamos, under Thyatira, under Sardis, Philadelphia, and under Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, 
And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, girt about the patch with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like wool, and as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in the furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and in his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw... Him, I fell at his feet as dead. I fell at his feet as dead. So holy. So awesome. So majestic and mighty. The same one who had such a close personal relationship while he walked on this earth, when he saw him in his glory and in his deity, He fell at his feet as dead. Wow. That's him. Why can we not come into the presence of God with our own good deeds? Because of his holiness, then B, write this down. Not only the holiness of the sovereign, but because of the helplessness of the sinner. Because of the helplessness of the sinner. He is so holy. The Bible says if we, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Are y'all with me? We lie and do not the truth. Watch what it says about us. This is us. Romans 3.10. Now remember, I'm giving you verses. I'm not giving you my opinion. This is what the Bible says. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. How many? All right. Romans 3.23. Why are we not righteous? For all have and come short of the glory of God. Now watch this. This is, this is a good one. This one right here. Whoo. Isaiah 64, 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, plural. In other words, all of our good deeds. All of the best we can come up with. Y'all with me? The very best good deeds, sacrificial good deeds we could ever do on this planet are as filthy rags. That's nasty. Just go in, you can coordinate and look that up, and I'm not going to go into it, but just trust me on it. It's nasty. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. What does that mean? God is so holy and God is so pure and God is so righteous. And the best we can do in God's eyes, because he's so holy, is as filthy rags in God's eyes. It's amazing to me. We, we, have, we have people that want to wanna stand and say, you've got to do this to be right with God and you've got to do that. And, and you know, I, I used to be the same way because I was taught this. And, and, and For instance, for instance uh, some people think that I'm going to hell for wearing a white shirt uh, teaching a Bible study, and I don't have a three-piece suit on a tie and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and But here's, here's the deal. If the very best deeds you can do are as filthy rags in God's eyes, do you really think that he's going to be impressed with a suit? And I'm not trying to be facetious, and I'm not trying to be smart. I'm just trying to make a point. Sometimes we make mountains out of molehills. Are you all with me? Sometimes we make things a big deal out of things that God doesn't make a big deal out of. 
And we, we hinder more people to get to God than we help people get to God by rules and regulations that we make up and God doesn't. Here's the point. I need God's righteousness. I don't need a man-made form and a man-made religion and tradition that's made up where I think that I want to know what God says about being right with Him. We need His righteousness. Why? Because I can't get to Him on my own because I'm weak. I'm a sinner. I'm helpless. The very best I can do can't get it done. The very best I can do will not get me into the presence of God. I need God's righteousness to be able to be in His presence because He is so holy. Does that make sense? God's righteousness is required. Why? Because he's so holy and I'm so helpless. God's righteousness is required. This is what I want you to know in the first point. God's righteousness is so is, is, is required. It's mandatory. It's so necessary. Why? Because he's so and I'm so. Are y'all with me? Number two. We see God's righteousness required. Number two. Write this down. We see God's righteousness revealed. We see God's righteousness revealed in two ways. God's righteousness revealed in two ways. Look in verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all what? And. All right, let's try that again. All four of y'all that got a Bible, amen? And it should, it's up on screen, I think. Yeah, look at there. No excuse. There's no excuse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against something. All what? And. Okay, now here's the deal. Where do we see, as we, as we open the Scriptures and we study the Scriptures and look in the Scriptures, where do we see the righteousness of God revealed? First we see it. First, we, we, we really, and, and this may not, this may think, well, how, how do we see it in that? It's in the wrath of God. It's in the wrath of God. Write this down in your notes. I want you to see because of the punishment of sin. We see God's righteousness revealed in God's punishment of sin. In other words, holiness has to deal with ungodliness. You with me? In order to be just, he had to deal with sin. Holiness must deal with ungodliness. If there is a sickness in the body, we must deal with it. We must put medicine there. We must deal with it. Wellness must overcome sickness. His holiness because of his holiness, because of his righteousness, because of his purity, he had to deal with sin in mankind. But there's only one problem. He just loved you too much. For the wages of sin is... But there was only one problem. For God so loved the world that he gave only begotten son man deserved death man deserved annihilation man deserved to be destroyed but God loved you too much 
I want to throw down and preach right here so bad. Watch this. He loves man. He should have killed him. Justice demands action. Righteousness and holiness demands justice to be served. And he could not be holy and just without sin being paid for. So in Romans we find that he becomes not just just, but the justifier. We can't go into that tonight, but we're going to go into that before it's over. What does that mean? In his righteousness, sin had to be paid for. But in his love for man, he came and died instead of man. We see the righteousness of God by what he did to sin. So what do you mean what he did to sin? Watch this. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. And by the way, that's a misprint in your notes. Instead of 54 right there, uh, uh, mark that out and put 53. I, I, I typed that wrong. It's not Isaiah 54, it's Isaiah 53. If you'll turn with me, what does, what does in, in Christ's death, we find his punishment of sin? Isaiah, Isaiah 53. If, if, you, if you don't have your Bible, I'll just read it for you. Isaiah uh, uh, 53 and verse number 5 says this. But he was wounded. This is talking about Jesus. Who is this talking about? Jesus. And it's primarily talking about what God the Father did to God the Son for our sin. Is everybody with me on that? Watch this. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But watch. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of who? Us all. Why? Because he's holy and we're helpless. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. In other words, he didn't complain, he didn't fight back, he gave himself freely. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off for the land of the living. For the transgression, watch this now. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. In other words, for our helplessness, our sin, our disobedience. And he was made, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in death because he had done no violence and neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why? He had to. Because sin had to be dealt with. In his holiness, he had to deal with sin. And in doing so, he had to bruise his own son. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And what's going to be satisfied? The justice of God, the righteousness of God will be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear who? Their iniquities. 
Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Where do we see God's righteousness revealed? In his punishment of sin in the death of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that he might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. How many of y'all remember in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus was crying out, Father, I know all things are possible with you. There's nothing impossible with you. Lord, I know you can, Father, I know you can do all things. If it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. How many of y'all remember that? Three times. He went back to his Father, back to his Father, back to his, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Many people think this, it's the cup of suffering. It's the cup of the cross. It, no, 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 no. He was, he was slain before the foundation of the earth. He knew he was going to be the lamb that was sacrificed before he ever was born. When he looked into that cup, it was the cup of sin. You see, he was holy. He was pure. He was righteous. My, my, this is such a weak illustration, but it just came to my mind. Uh, my daughter, Becca, she's like this neat freak. She's like the, the opposite of me. Complete, total, sure enough. I mean, it, you go in her closet, shoes. I just try to find my shoes. I don't even know, you know, shoes are just right. Everything's folded just right. And and we went, and, and, and I've got some coon dog puppies, and, and they're about four weeks old, and we was over there just messing with them, and, 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 and she had she was playing with them and all. And, and, and we got into the truck, and I went to leave, and here she is. I said, what are you doing? She said, you got any sanitizer? I said, no, I don't have no. I just feel dirty. All she did was hold a puppy. That's it, hold a puppy. That's it. But she's such a, now watch this. Imagine God who is completely 100 million percent pure and holy and righteous and white as snow and completely gloriously pure. And he takes upon him every rape, every incestuous act, every homosexual act, every murder, every lie, every wicked deed ever known to man, he puts upon himself. The Bible says in Hebrews, I think Hebrews chapter 12, talks about that, that he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. It was such a contradiction of who he was. He was so holy. But he, he became so ungodly so he could pay our penalty. Listen, God punished sin in his son. If you want to know what God feels or thinks about sin, just take a good glimpse of Calvary. Because his holiness was revealed in his treatment of sin in the punishment of his son. We see 
his righteousness revealed in the punishment of sin. But then we see God's righteousness revealed in God's provision of salvation. B, God's provision of salvation. We see the punishment of sin in Christ's death. But we see the provision of salvation in Christ's resurrection. Romans 8.11 says this, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, which means make alive, your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Even, Ephesians 2.5, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together, made alive, made us alive together with Christ by grace, should you say. What's that mean? Because He got up, one day I'm going to get up. One of the coolest verses in the Bible is in Revelation chapter number 1. I am he that liveth and was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell. Are y'all with me? Because he got up, we're going to get up. He proved to be who he was. According to Romans chapter number 1, he proved that he was the son of God by the power of the resurrection. He got up, and one day we're going to get up. Say amen. Listen, the, re- the, the righteousness of God is revealed by God's punishment of sin in Christ's death, but God's provision of salvation in Christ's resurrection. Then let's look number three, and we're done. Number three. What was number one? Tell me back, number one. God's, God's righteousness required. All right, say that with me. God's righteousness. All right, number two. God's, all right, look at this. Number three, God's righteousness refused refused God crucified his own son so we could go free but everybody's not going to accept it the hardest thing I've ever had to experience in my life as a pastor is watching people turn away and to understand I can't help everybody And I can't fix everybody. And everybody is not going to accept what God has to offer. The hardest thing in the world is to know what I'm offering and to watch him refuse. It's the saddest thing to me. And and, and when I stand here, when I stand here and and, and during the invitation, say, if if you're not 100% sure, if you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven. But there's some doubt. I want to pray with you. Would, would you slip your hand up? And there'll be hands all over the building. And I say, please come. We've got people down at this altar. We've got ladies and gentlemen down at this altar. All you've got to do is come. And we'll take a Bible. And we'll be glad to show you how you can know for sure. And to watch them grip the back of the pews and turn around and walk away. And it's so, I'm telling you, man, I, I just, sometimes I'm haunted at night seeing that in my mind and that image in, in my mind. Watching people willingly, purposely refuse Christ. God's righteousness is refused. We see in verse number 21. Because that, when they knew God, and we're going to go into greater detail about this next week. We're going to look at the progress. How did we get here? How did we get 
How did we get from Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the garden, knowing without a shadow of a doubt there was a God because they walked with him and talked with him in the cool of the day to the, today in 2012 where a majority of people don't even believe there is a God? How did we get here? How did we get here? It's all there. It's all right here in these, these four or five verses. And we're going to go backwards and see how we have progressed from knowing God, walking with God, fellowship with God, no question there is a God, to over here can't even convince somebody that there is a God. Right here in verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They refused God. Why did this, this take place? And I'm just going to give you the short version tonight, and we're going to go into detail next week. A, we see the reason for refusal. The reason for refusal. It always it comes back to this one deal. It always comes back to one deal. Always, no matter what. No matter who, no matter where, no matter what, no matter what country, no matter what religion they come out, It always comes back to one deal. They refuse the righteousness of God because they refuse the word of God. All right, God tells Adam and Eve, don't eat of this fruit. Don't eat of this fruit. You can eat any fruit you want, don't eat of this fruit. Just take my word for it. Don't eat of this fruit because in the day you shall eat of this fruit, ye shall surely die. Y'all know what happens. Eve is there. The, the serpent comes. Satan in the form of a serpent what do you think, Eve? How about this fruit over here? Oh, no. No. God says we can't eat that fruit. We can't even touch it. Now, did God say that? Mm-mm. See, man has a tendency from the very beginning of time to want to add to what God says. Isn't that an amazing thing? See, this is not new to fundamentalists. It's always been that way. We want to add rules to what God said. But all he said, don't eat the fruit. And this is what the devil says. This is so slick. Yay? Hath God said? You sure about that? He didn't, he didn't, right in the beginning, he didn't come out and say, God's a big fat liar. God, he eventually brings that. But the first thing he does is he wants to plant a little bit of doubt. Because see, we're not, if, if I was to come and say, there's no God, you'd say, oh, come on, man. You, you wouldn't put up with that for five seconds. But if I just said, hey, man, what do you think about this? The devil is so good at what he does. Just in the last two weeks, in a, in a situation, I saw how good the devil is at what he does. His deception is so, so good in the people he uses, people that are just pawns in his hand, and we don't even realize... And, and, and the, the type of people he uses so that we will feel sorry. 
but they're still a pawn, and it's still a battle, and it's still real, and it's still a fight, and, and here we are. It's right versus wrong, and good versus evil, and Satan, is he's the angel of light. He's so deceptive. And this is what he wants you to do. He just wants you to doubt just a little bit God's Word. Because if he can plant some doubt, then it won't be long that we will not just doubt God's Word. We will, we will stray from God's Word, and we will disobey God's Word. Because if He can get us to doubt it, He can lie to us. If He can get us to doubt God and what He says, then He can give us a lie, and we're going to believe it. Man, I'm telling you, all I hope you all paying attention to this. Yea, hath God said. Did he really say that? Are you, are you sure about that? Yea, hath God said. Now see, here's the deal. You're not going to die. That's, you're not really going to die. It's just that he knows that when you eat of this fruit, you're just going to be as smart as he is. You're going to be like a God. So what is he appealing to? He's appealing to what the Bible calls in, in our sin. What is sin? Is, is the, the lust of the flesh? The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The food, the, the, the fruit was looked good. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh and the, and the pride of life. You're just going to be as smart as God. So what, what did he do? First he planted doubt. Well, you know, I'm not sure. You see what's happened? In, in the situation I'm talking about, we know clearly what God's word says. We know clearly without a shadow of a doubt God says about right and wrong and, and this but but what has happened we, we've allowed such a such a, 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 a lax a lax stand for right and wrong that we've allowed Satan to creep in with enough doubt to get us to hmm y'all with me not lost people I'm talking about saved people he just creeps in with a little doubt and, and, and the reason they refuse the righteousness of God, they refuse what they know to be right and holy, is because they refuse God's Word. It always starts there. It always starts there. That's why Paul told Timothy, preach the Word. Reprove, re rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but shall heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears. Preach the word. Teach truth. Ephesians 4 says that we need to not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. This guy comes and says this, and this guy comes and says this. You know, how, how, can, we, how can we defend ourselves against false teachers? Know the truth. Know the truth. I can be sitting, I can be sitting watching TV, and there'll be there'll be a, a preacher on TV, and Tammy gets so mad at me, and, and I can't help it. This is my world, my life, and I want to know what's out there. And I, I and I'm just sitting there, man. Boy, this is good. He's going out, and he says one thing, and my spiritual antenna go. Wait a minute, and all of a sudden, the lie comes out. You see, the devil's not just going to tell you a story. He's not just going to tell you a lie. He's going to put enough truth around it to make it believable. So if you don't know real truth, 
Are y'all with me? How many of y'all ever heard the story of the wolf and, 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 and the way they catch wolves in Alaska? Have you ever heard that story? How many of y'all have never heard that story? Never? Oh, that's good. I'm going to tell it. It's really good. Because this is the way this works. It really does. They'll take a big old sword. They'll take a big old sword and, 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 and sharp. I mean, keep it real sharp and dip it in blood. Dip it in blood and let it freeze. And then dip it in blood and let it freeze. And then dip it in blood and let it freeze. I mean, it just gets so many coats on there. And then they'll go stick it up. They'll go stick it up in the middle out there where the, the, the wolves are. And, and, and that wolf will come and he can smell that blood. And it just has an insatiable appetite. And it starts licking that sword. But there's so, many, there's so much blood, frozen blood, it's just, it, it just feels like it's, it's, it's getting blood. And, it, man, it just goes into a craze. And it just keeps licking that blood and licking that blood. But that blood's frozen. And I don't know if you've ate ice before, but before long, his tongue is numb. And before long, his whole mouth is numb. But he is such a great, he don't even feel it anymore. And he just keeps licking. Well, finally, he gets through that blood and he hits that blade. And his, his tongue and his mouth is so numb, he doesn't even feel it. And he just keeps on. And it's starting to cut up his own lips. And the blood that he has taken is his own. And before long, he's so mutilated that he can't even live and he won't be able to survive and he ends up dying. Now, here's the deal. Satan will numb us to truth. And we will be so inoculated and so... I, man, this is on me so much. I, I, I wish I could just go into... We're so surrounded by sin and unrighteousness. The Bible says in the last days, the love of many will wax cold because iniquity abounds. And good people get deceived because they're so numb to what's right and wrong. That's why we need God's righteousness. That's why we can't operate on our feelings. We've got to operate on the facts of God's word. And the reason they refuse the righteousness of God is because they rejected God's word. I can't tell you how many times I've quoted verses to people. I don't care what that says. That's your problem. Well, I feel like... And, and I always want to say, how's that working for you? Why, why, why are you here? Why are you in my office? If that's working so good for you... Amen? Listen. God's righteousness refused. The reason for the refusal, they, they rejected God's word. And then B, the response for refusal. God's wrath revealed. The reason for the refusal, God's word was rejected. John 3.19 says this, And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The response for this refusal is God's wrath revealed. Righteousness is God's response to faith. Wrath is God's response to unrighteousness. What, what does that mean? It means simply this. As we study the book of Romans and we learn about God's righteousness, and we're going to learn how to receive that righteousness by faith, we're going to understand this, that when, when we... When God sees his righteousness in us, it is rewarded with God's favor. But when God sees unrighteousness, it always brings God's wrath. It always does. 
I would encourage you to read. I don't, I don't remember what verse I put on the bottom of that, but it, look in your notes, the very bottom of it. We're not, we don't have time tonight, but turn to Hebrews there and read that when you get home. But here's the deal. The righteousness of God is critical. Let's don't leave here and say, well, here's how I feel about this situation, or here's what I feel. It doesn't matter. What does God... You know what will make our church really powerful and really strong? If the only final authority we have is God's Word. If, if people come to you and say, what do you think about it? Well, let's, let's find out what God says about it. Well, what, what, it will change everything. Our church will become so powerful. You say, how do you know that? Because if we go back to verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the, it is the power, say that with me, it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the dunamis, Greek word dunamis. You get our English word dynamite, dynamo, dynamic. Say amen. Man, I want to talk about that too. We're over time by a minute and nine seconds. We got to pray. Uh, we're going we're to be preaching this Sunday. We're going to be preaching this Sunday on how to keep my children. It's, a, it's an emphasis all day on the children, the teens and, and the children. And, and, uh, and, and I'm going to be preaching primarily to the parents, everybody, but primarily us parents. Uh, how many of y'all want your kids to walk with God when they get to where they can decide whether they want to or not? Man, please come. Please pray for me. Because I promise you, there's gonna, I've been half sick all day and the devil's fighting like crazy. And, and I promise you, he doesn't want our parents to get strong to help their kids. So he's going to fight this Sunday. And I'm going to need your prayers. Amen? So let's start here. Let's just pray right where we are. Let's pray right where we are. I, I, I don't went too long. And uh, so every head bowed and every eye closed. And let's, let's pray for the people that, that deal with our children, that lead our children, that teach our children, that, that, that watch over our children. Let's pray that God will move this Sunday and that we will, we will experience the power of God. Father... I'm so grateful and thankful for your mercy and your grace. I'm thankful for a time that we come together to learn about your righteousness.